The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. Look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps. And then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a 1,000 at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Yes, it is an Ask Dr. Jesse Thursday here on the Jesse Kelly Show. I'm going to do the best I can to turn down the energy just a little bit because I'm excited. I'm excited about the history story. You have me excited with these absurdly good questions you sent in today. 
It is the Jesse Kelly Show, 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com for you new people. Yes, I realize it's a political show. I open every single day with a history story, no matter what, without fail. I then normally move into politics normally, but I can get distracted and often do telling stupid stories and answering questions and doing things like that. That happens in the normal show. However, on Fridays, usually Fridays, it's an Ask Dr. Jesse day where I take the whole show after the history story and I just answer your questions. What kind of questions? Well, here's a brief sample of what we will be going over today about an hour from now. One, mom wants to know whether she should take her son to Hooters or Church's Chicken and what to order. I'm about to blow you away with that one. Two, what does the world look like if Britain joins Germany in World War I? Three, who would win? Spearman or a T-Rex? Like I said, the questions get heavy. And how many years do we have before we are full-blown communists? I'm going to answer all these questions today on the Jesse Kelly Show. But first, let's rewind and tell a little story about ancient Rome. We are going back to Rome before Christ. 50, 60, 70 years before Christ. This is way before Chris's people killed him. We are going back to a time of Julius Caesar, of Crassus, of Pompey, Pompey the Great, Pompey Magnus. Now, we're going to pause before we go over Rome because I have to set up the opponent they're going to be facing today. Alexander the Great needs no introduction. Great conqueror took over everything and then promptly died right away. Died right away. 32, 33 years old. When he died, there were endless battles and squabblings and assassinations over who got his empire. How did it end? Well, a bunch of people got it. His powerful generals all basically split the place up. And one of the most powerful was the Seleucids. It's the Seleucid Empire. Very, very cool empire. We'll go over them again at some point in time. The Seleucid Empire, all you need to know is just think Iran. It was bigger than that, but just think that that's, that's what we're talking about. Mesopotamia. On the northern part of Iran, the northern part of the Seleucid Empire, was the Asian Steppe. We have gone over this before. Asian steppe, if you want to draw a big fat line from east to west across Asia, right through the middle of it, that's considered the steppe. And historically, forever, that area produces nasty warriors. Genghis Khan, that's where he came from. Attila the Hun, that's where he came from. It produces Horse archers, nomadic horse archers, who, when they're organized with a good leader, are virtually unbeatable in battle. You don't, you don't believe me? Ask the Seleucids. 
at one point, a bunch of horse archers came storming into the to the northern part of their empire and just took a big part of it. Horse archers. They then proceeded over the coming years to gobble up virtually the entire Seleucid Empire. This became what we know as Parthia. By the way, just a little preview of what may be coming today. You know, Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, like I said, they were horse archers and they were famous. Their armies were famous for their horse archers appearing to retreat, riding away from you as you charge at them, but then turning around and firing absurdly accurate and powerful arrows behind them. That was known as the Parthian shot. Why do you think that is? You're about to find out today. Oh, little little water cooler trivia for you here. You can act smart with all your coworkers. That got turned into the parting shot that we know today. That came from the Parthian shot. That's to take a shot at somebody as you walk away. Anyway, be that as it may, the Parthian Empire rises and they become a powerful empire. They're trading with the Chinese. Things are going well. But as all powerful empires do, they begin to stumble once things got too good. Assassinations, squabbling, they were, they were heading into some hard times. But still, horse archers, powerful, very powerful. Let's pause and go to Rome. Now this part, I'm going to try to get through as fast as possible. It's just that this part gets complicated. Rome, at this point in time, was flexing its muscle east a little bit. This is the period when when Julius Caesar is up in Gaul. This is the period where they're expanding north. They start to look east towards places like Pontus and Parthia and say to themselves, I mean, how much trouble would it be to just go over there and take some of it? Look at all the money and power they have. We are Rome. We are by far the best military power in the world, the greatest country in the world at the moment, why wouldn't we just go take it? And before you look down on Rome for this way of thinking, one, remember, conquering is the history of the world. That's the way people think. Two, they weren't wrong about being so much better than everyone else militarily at this point. This had been we're, we're talking, it had been a hundred years before Rome had lost, or since Rome had lost a significant battle. They were just used to traipsing those legions out in the field and steamrolling people. Why wouldn't we go a little bit further east? Which brings us to our subject today. It's actually not a story about Julius Caesar. It's not even really a story about Pompey Magnus. It's a story about a man named Crassus, one of, if not the richest men to ever live. In today's dollars, he would have been a billionaire. Now, what was Crassus's history before this point? Before he joins up with Caesar and Pompey, his history was different. Rome at one point had a, had a guy in charge named Sulla who fought a big civil war in Rome. Killed a bunch of Romans in order to get back to the Roman Republic the way it should be. 
Crassus was a very accomplished general during this time. Historically, people look at Crassus and say to themselves, oh, what an idiot. I can't believe he blew. Crassus was an outstanding general at this time. Now, he was also a little bit of a scumbag. I mean, an extreme scumbag. You see Sala. Sala, once he took power, did this thing called prescriptions where he would simply put a list up in the town square of everybody he wanted murdered, and then people would go murder them and bring their heads back so Sulla could pay them. Oftentimes, Sulla's prescriptions simply were for rich people whose lands he wanted to seize for himself and his friends. Crassus made himself just a little bit of money during this time. And actually, that's not the worst thing Crassus did for money. We'll go over that, and then we'll go into our battle here before we get to our questions. Hang on. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Like a stain on your brain, you can't get out. Jake's Mint Chew will help you break that habit of dipping. I am not pointing a finger at you. I'm not lecturing. I'm just saying, as someone who dipped for a long time, it is something you need to let go. You can't do that forever. I'm not going to ever judge you for it. But there is a way you can quit that is actually not miserable at all. In fact, you might find yourself enjoying it. It's called Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And it's dip you put in your lip. They even have CBD pouches. And I would really recommend those, especially early, because the CBD pouches really help take that edge off. Go to jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Use the promo code JESSE at checkout. That gets you 20% off. Truth. Attitude. Jesse Kelly. How much time do we have before we're full-blown communists? And what do you order at Church's Chicken? I will tackle these two equally important items today on a rare Ask Dr. Jesse Thursday. We're doing it on Thursday this week because I am out tomorrow. BK will be filling in. I have to go do some fancy thing I'm not allowed to talk about yet. I will fill you in on Monday. You have my word. 877-377-4373. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Don't forget, if you miss any part of the show, you can download the whole thing on iHeart, Google, Spotify, and iTunes. On iTunes, leave a five-star rating. Leave a review talking about how handsome I am. <laughs> All right, back to our story here. Sala, as he's giving these prescriptions, and his prescriptions are lists of people he once murdered and people are dying, 
Crassus, who is already very wealthy, is the one taking advantage of it. And, oh, yes, I think I will buy this farm. Turns out the owner, he doesn't need it anymore. And that's not the worst thing he did. The worst thing he did was most certainly this. He had his own construction crew. Nothing wrong with that. Good for you. I grew up in construction. He also had his own fire department. There wasn't some government-run fire department. He had his own. He would sometimes wait for a building to be on fire, sometimes have his people set a building on fire that maybe he wanted to acquire. He then would take his fire department and walk up to the owner who's standing in the street watching his house burn and say, I would like to give you some money for that. I mean, of course, it's going to be half what it's worth. And the owner would either A, freak out and say, it's worth way more than that. Screw you. Put it out. And then Crassus would say, no, I don't think I will. And watch it burn all the way to the ground. Or the owner would have to hang his head, accept his half price offer, and then Crassus would turn loose his fire brigade to put out the fire in the home he just purchased for half price. He then would have his construction crew come right in and refurbish the house and take care of any fire damage that had happened. So we're not talking about a great person here. Let's just be clear about that. Life gets complicated. Chris, I see the admiration you have right now, and I want you to know you're a bad person. You should see Jewish producer Chris over there trying to feel bad about this guy's way of making money. That's just wrong, Chris. No, Chris, that does not count as being a savvy businessman. That is, no, no. (laughs) Chris says he identified the holes in the market and he's feeling it. There's something wrong with you. Okay. He also, again, this story is always told like Crassus is some rich, bumbling idiot who, who was great at business but had never led armies. I already told you about the army he led during Sulla's Civil War. He also was the one... You know the movie Spartacus, the Spartacus Rebellion, the third slave revolt in Rome, the big one? Don't undersell that. That slave army was a juggernaut, and they were slaughtering entire Roman armies. Spartacus was an outstanding military commander. He was so good, people think that he was probably a powerful general at the nation he was in before he got taken as a slave and made a gladiator. I mean, the dude was really, really good. Crassus was the one who built an army and went and put that army down. Crassus did that. Which brings us to the triumvirate. What is the triumvirate? If you study ancient Rome at all for any period of time, you will hear it. There were others that came after it. Just know this was the first one, so it's often called the first triumvirate. Because it was first, Chris. You might have figured that out already. Yeah, look, I like to inform people. That was Julius Caesar, Pompey Magnus, and Crassus. Why did they get together? Well, it's not like they were best buddies at all. In fact, Pompey, Magnus, and Crassus flat out hated each other. But they realized they had acquired many of the same enemies in Rome, very, very powerful enemies, and they were going to get taken out if they didn't do something. And they also realized if us three join together... We all of a sudden are by far the most powerful entity in Rome, and nobody can touch us. So they joined together, 
and make their own government, essentially, well, guide the Roman government doing whatever they want to do for, for 20 years. They just rule Rome together. What's the deal in this? Who gets what? Julius Caesar was fighting an absurdly powerful, popular, profitable war in Gaul. He's taking over France. Remember, the reason it was profitable, like we talked about yesterday, a big reason it was profitable, were the slaves. He was just acquiring slaves by the million. He's just piling up slaves. So Caesar's up there getting rich and powerful. Caesar, because of the triumvirate, essentially gets permission to go continue his war in Gaul for another five years, just filling up his bank account. What does Pompey Magnus get? Pompey Magnus gets Spain, gets to control the Roman armies in the Mediterranean. What does Crassus get? Crassus gets to make war whenever he wants, which is a big deal back then, and Crassus gets the east. The East was already known to be a really, really wealthy, powerful place. And Crassus starts to look East pretty much immediately. And he looks at this place called Parthia. And in Crassus's defense, because everyone has 20-20 hindsight and makes the guy out to be an incompetent boob, Crassus... He thought Parthia looked really weak, and Parthia did look really weak. You have backstabbing and assassinations, and it's a crumbling empire, but it's a crumbling empire sitting on a pot of gold. How could I not go after Parthia, right? What are they going to do? Take on us? So Crassus raises seven legions. Another thing he got permission to do, raising legion on his own. Remember, whenever someone brings up a legion, you just need to think 5,000 men. It wasn't always that, exactly that, but it's generally roughly 5,000 men. That's a legion. He raised seven of them. He also grabs his son, who had been fighting from fighting with Julius Caesar, on, on Julius Caesar's side, not fighting Julius Caesar, been fighting Julius Caesar. His son was a great cavalry commander. Crassus raises his legions and then tells Caesar, I need my son. His son's name was Publius. And he has a role to play in this story as well. Publius rides south to go hang out with Pop and take his cavalry into battle with his father on to glory. So here we have Crassus with pretty much 40,000 men. The exact numbers disputed. About 35,000 heavy, heavy Roman infantry, 5,000 Roman cavalry. Now, we have to discuss the Roman infantry for a moment. I'm not going to nerd out on the details too much. I don't want you falling asleep behind the wheel before we get to our Ask Dr. Jesse questions. But there is something you do have to know because it matters for our story. Rome conquered the world with heavy infantry. They were the heavy infantry people of all time. They had perfected it. Absolutely perfected it. Shields, spears, armor, sword, and discipline like you can't possibly imagine. I know you're picturing a movie, probably Gladiator at this point in time, but that's real. Roman units, they never fought as individuals, ever. They were always linked 
with absurd discipline. Shields locked together, shields in front, shields on the side, shields overhead. They could follow commands immediately on the battlefield. It's why Rome routinely was absurdly outnumbered and won virtually every time. Except maybe this time. We will go over that. And then the Ask Dr. Jesse question. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Somebody wants to know how to convince his wife that men ripping on each other is how men relate to each other. I'm going to explain that phenomenon here shortly. But first, before I get to my Ask Dr. Jesse questions, we have to try to finish our story about Crassus and Parthia. Crassus sees Parthia as being weak. They're backstabbing each other's sons are assassinating their fathers to take the throne, then fighting each other. It's a disaster. So that's not good. Crassus builds his legions, seven of them, grabs his son Publius with the cavalry, and heads east. Now Parthia gets word that an invasion is coming, and they begin to make preparations. When this story is told, People often simplify this story and say, Crassus walked in there and then met and then, then it didn't work. That's not true at all. And one more thing before we continue on. One more thing about the Roman legions, about the heavy infantry. The reason they were so unstoppable, obviously, is their discipline and their armor and their shields. But you should know. It was routine for them to square off against people who shot arrows and threw rocks with slings and threw spears. And it was routine for them to withstand all that because all their shields were locked. They even had this formation called the Testudo. You've probably seen it in movies before where their shields are locked in the front and overhead. So you can't shoot an arrow up and land on them. They're essentially an impenetrable turtle, and 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 it's very it's 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 unstoppable. It 
had always been unstoppable. Crassus marches into Parthia, promptly meets with a ragtag Parthian army they threw together. It wasn't really an official one, and he crushes them. He then moves on. There are a bunch of cities there that come right over to Crassus, and so this is going pretty much exactly as planned. There was one city that held out, and they actually acted like they were going to be friendly, and they let a bunch of Roman troops in, and then they promptly sealed the gates and slaughtered them. And then Crassus went down and burned the city to the ground and killed every man, woman, and child. That is generally not a good idea to knife a Roman in the back. And that was the first year of this campaign. It all went perfectly. Crassus retires to winter quarters. The history of the world is a history of weather. You and I don't think about it as much because we all live, work, and worship. I shouldn't say all. We live, work, and worship in climate-controlled environments now. That's just what we do, so you don't think about weather. They didn't generally campaign in the winter back then, but it's all going well. But while Crassus is in his winter quarters, Parthia gets their affairs in order. A man takes over, gets everything organized, and he appoints himself a general who turned out to be a very, very capable man, a man by the name of Serenus. Serenus gathers his army, and he has something planned for Crassus. Crassus marches on. The, the year ends. It's time to get going again. Crassus takes his previously unstoppable Roman legions and his Roman cavalry, and they march out, 40,000 of them. Crassus does get some bad information about the route he should take. He asks somebody, hey, which way should I go? You're going to be my guide. The guy guides them in a way that happens to be perfect for the Parthian army. Yes, the guy turned out to be a traitor who was actually working for the Parthians. But even still, not the end of the world. You're still the Roman legions. So they're a little hungry. They're a little thirsty. They got separated off the river for a little while, but they're still Rome. They're doing fine, and they find themselves on a plain, on the plains, right next to a city called Karai. Now, Roman legions can fight anywhere, always have, always will. So they weren't exactly concerned about being out on a plain. We still are the same heavy infantry. The shields still work on the plains. What are you going to do about it? And he runs into a Parthian army. Now, remember, there are 40,000 Romans here. What kind of army does he run into with the Parthians? About 10,000. About 10,000. And right now, Crassus is a little confused as to why they're squaring off of them. He's a little confused why the Parthians have been so cocky anyways. Remember that first year after he took, the, took all those cities and beat the, the army? Parthians send an envoy to Crassus, and of course the envoy knocks on the door, hey Crassus, and Crassus is sitting there thinking, oh good, you're coming to make peace terms or surrender, and the Parthian envoy says, hey, we'll give you permission to leave with your life if you leave now, and Crassus says, I'm, I'm sorry, what did you say? No, I'll see you in your capital soon, and the Parthian envoy, tell me this didn't take big brass ones holds out his palm and says, you will see hair growing here before you ever see our capital. 
and rides off. These are not people unfamiliar with war. Crassus and his 40,000 Romans run into a 10,000-man Parthian army. They promptly form a gigantic square. The Roman army forms a gigantic square because what are they looking at? Well, it's a little different. What, what is that? Where's the infantry? They all look like they're on horses. Why are they all on horses? Who fights like that? You can't win like that. What, an, what a bunch of idiots. All right, whatever. Form up into a big square. What are the horses going to do? Jump over it? No, that's not how it works. So they're done. And not, not only that, they're not even that impressive looking. Well, he was missing a couple very, very key points. One. This 10,000-man army army on horseback, about 9,000 of them were horse archers. Only they weren't the kind of archers Crassus or any Roman had dealt with before. Remember, I talked about that Asian step thing in the very beginning? The bow, the composite bow that was used from Attila the Hun to these guys to Genghis Khan was not like any other bow in the world. You didn't just chop down a little tree and put a string on it and call it a day. It was an extensive process to make one of these using tendons and bone and everything else. These things could shoot. They say that, look, I'll tell you this. I saw two or three different sources as I was reading up on this that said this, and I still don't believe it, but that's what they say. They say the thing could shoot 400 yards. There's no way that's true. I I have a very hard time believing that's true, but it could shoot really, really far. Let's just leave it at that. And the arrow it shot, because the bow was so powerful, the arrow it, it shot was really, really heavy. So laws of physics are... This bow can shoot harder and shoot something that's a lot heavier and nastier than anything the Romans had ever seen before. That's really going to come into play here in just a moment. And on top of the 9,000 horse archers, Salinas had something else. He had 1,000 what they called cataphracts. What's a cataphract? It's a man on horseback with a long lance. But also the horse... Is draped in armor too, and I mean draped in armor. It's a it's an ancient tank. And because Salinas was trying to bait this Roman army into fighting at this point in time, he had all these cataphracts throw blankets over the armor so the Romans couldn't see they were armored until they'd formed up. And at which point Salinas had them throw the blankets off, and now they're looking at armored horses in front of them. But still, not the end of the world. We're Rome. We're in a square. What's this army, one-fourth our size, even going to do to us? He's about to find out. And then we'll get to our Ask Dr. Jesse questions. Hang on. something there's a podcast get it on demand wherever podcasts are found the jesse kelly show fellas this one's for you i i used to snore pretty bad and i would snore pretty bad because of my allergies 
And now I don't do that anymore because I have an Eden Pure Thunderstorm. I don't wake up in the morning and have tears running out of my eyes. I don't wake up in the morning and have to sneeze. I don't wake up in the morning and have to blow my nose. I'm clear because I have an Eden Pure Thunderstorm. It's quiet. It's extremely powerful. It takes all the odors out of your room, and it has made my allergies better, which, frankly, has helped my wife sleep as much as it's helped me sleep. Go get one. Just get one for your room. Just try it. You will not regret it. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. That's EdenPureDeals.com. Use the code word JESSE at checkout. That actually gets you 10 bucks off. It is the Jesse Kelly Show. We have alternate histories we have to do. We have animal fights, as always. How long does America have before it turns communist and other things? But first, we have to address something. We have to address what happened with Crassus at the Battle of Karai. 877-377-4373, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. They are formed up in a square and ready. The Parthians charge with their horses, and the Romans are sitting there thinking, okay, feel free. What are you going to do? Slam your horse into our shield wall? You're all going to die. The Parthians do charge, but they peel off when they get close. And they don't run into these Romans in this square. They start shooting arrows at them. Again, not a problem has never been a problem for these heavy infantry Roman legions with their armor and their shields and their discipline. Except these are Asian steppe people. And this is a whole different kind of bow and a whole different kind of arrow. The arrows are going through the shields. The arrows are going through the shields And they're sticking in people's arms. They're sticking people's feet to the ground so they can't move. They're sticking through their legs. In some cases, they're sticking through their eyes and killing them. They're sticking through them forward. The Parthians also, as they're just riding by, what they're doing, it's very disciplined and organized. One unit will ride by in front of the formation shooting and then ride away. And then the next unit rides by and rides away. They're also shooting them in the air. So they're coming down on the Roman heads and going through the shields that way. Okay, this is a very big deal. However, Crassus, an experienced general, is not that worried yet. Because he says to himself and his other commanders, okay, not good, but they're going to run out of arrows as everybody else does. And then what what are they going to do? Ride around and yell at us? Going to be fine. Salinas was prepared for such things. You see on top of the 10,000 horse archers, well, 9,000 archers, 1,000 cataphracts, on top of his cavalry, Salinas had brought a massive, some say hundreds, some say thousands, we don't know. We just know it was a massive train of camels. What were they carrying? They were all carrying arrows. Endless supplies of arrows. You would ride in front of the Roman army, unload every single arrow you had, and then you simply 
gallop your horse on back to the camel train where they had a brand new quiver waiting for you, handing it to you to do it again and again and again and again. And the Roman army is now in very, very deep trouble. They're in such deep trouble that Crassus's son Publius, the man in charge of the Roman cavalry, tells his father, not incorrectly, I have got to go charge and try to get them away from us or we're all going to die here. And so, to his credit, a very brave move. He hops on his horse and takes his cavalry unit and sallies forth and charges out of that square at the Parthians who promptly turn around and run away. They're running away from Publius. He has just saved the day. Look at him. He's going to ride them down like grass. They're scared of him. Of course they are scared of the Romans as everyone else is. Publius rides away. They think it was about a mile or two, they say, except the Parthians weren't running away because they were scared. They were running away because remember those thousand cataphracts with heavy armor and lances? They were waiting in ambush for Publius. They waited till he got there and then charged him, surrounded him, slaughtered almost all of his men. Publius gets away, gets to a little hilltop. They charge him to finish him off. He goes to kill himself, which was the custom at the time, but he takes an arrow in the hand and can't do it, so he has to tell his servant to kill him, and his servant does. Crassus doesn't know what had happened. It was all a big dust bowl, right? It's not the movies. You can't see. You don't have a cut scene. All you see is a bunch of horses and dust and screaming and yelling. What's the next thing Crassus sees? The next thing Crassus sees is those Parthian cavalry coming right back at him, and they're carrying something. What, is, what are they carrying? They were carrying a long spike with his son's head on top of it, and they rode around the Roman army while Crassus had to watch his son's head at the end of a spike. At the end of the day, when nighttime came, the Romans had lost at least half their force dead. They are now, uh, you want to talk PTSD, they are broken mentally and have to do something, right? You have to do something or we're all going to die when the sun comes up. So they came up, They come up with a plan. Crassus comes up with a plan. Cold-hearted, yeah, but it is what it is. Any man who can't walk, leave him on the ground. The rest of us are going to pull back in a disciplined way, back to the city of Karai and to the mountains, split up, run where you can, and hide. How's that turn out for Crassus? You will find out in a second, and then it's Ask Dr. Jesse time. Hang on. One forty five over ninety two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty two over a hundred. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. 
My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It is the now world-famous Jesse Kelly Show doing a very rare Ask Dr. Jesse on Thursday. I'm so excited to get to these. It took all I could do not to rush the history story today so I could get to these questions. When do we stop retreating, somebody wants to know. Somebody wants to know what to order at church's chicken and hooters. People want to know... How long do we have before we go communist? I'm going to answer all these questions today. I'm not even doing guests today. You get nothing but me. So I would just like to say from the bottom of my heart, congratulations. What, Chris? 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. We will wrap up the story of Crassus here, and then it's on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. It is the Jesse Kelly Show on an Ask Dr. Jesse Thursday this week. We have some great questions. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. No guests today. Just all me. But first. Roman army leaves behind their wounded. They retreat to the town. They retreat to the hills. In case you're wondering, they left about 4,000 men behind who couldn't move because they were so wounded The Parthians promptly went up and slaughtered every single one of them. They last two or three days on the run. They still are about a 7,000-man army at this time. Obviously, they're they're a bit not doing great, but they still have Crassus alive. And if they make it out of here alive with Crassus, remember, we're still talking about maybe the richest man who ever lived. 
they're probably going to be more than fine. They're going to go retreat to an ally. They're going to spend another year or two. Time worked different back then, raising a whole bunch more legions. Probably have them with a bit thicker shields next time. And probably going to come back and win. The Parthian general, Salinas, tries to extend a hand at this point in time to Crassus. Sends somebody out and says, hey, let's parlay. Let's get together. Crassus does not want to do this at all. Why? Because of what I just said. But why would I parlay? I've lost this day. I'll be back in a year to win. Screw him. I'm out of here. His commanders, though, encourage him, practically force him to do it. No, no, no. You need to. We're, we're hurting. I don't know if we're going to make it out of this. The Parthians are still looking for them. Go, go, go. Crassus does go. Crassus never comes back. How did that story end? Well, the story ended that they were putting on plays back in Parthia using Crassus's real head as a prop in the plays. That's how that story ended. As in case you're wondering, the underrated general Salinas, things didn't work out well for him either. You see, he wasn't the king. He was the general the king appointed And this was a dirt ball of a king who didn't want a very powerful, now very, very popular, very capable general in his kingdom. So when he got back home, he promptly had him killed. Politics is a dirty business. Power games are a dirty business. Men have killed each other for money and power since the dawn of time. They always have. They always will. Don't make the mistake of thinking you live in some more refined era than the ones that came before you. Now, allow us to dig in to the Ask Dr. Jesse questions today, and they are so stinking good. <laughs> Let us begin. 877-377-4373. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Don't forget this. I read all of your emails, whether they're Ask Dr. Jesse or not. They all go right to Jewish producer Chris. He prints them off. I read every one of them. Your love, your hate, your death threats, your Ask Dr. Jesse questions. I will not respond. I get way too many of them, but you send them. I read them. Dear Dr. Jesse, I'm going to fly across the country to visit my son in Bakersfield, California. He's a tall, thin Navy veteran with a very deep voice. Should we eat at Hooters or Church's Chicken? Neither of us have been to these restaurants. As far as I know, he doesn't have a girlfriend. Tell me what to order. And this is a lady. I'm not going to give her name because she didn't say I could give her name, but it's a lady. So it's a mom going to see her son. All right. I have the ultimate solution for you. You ready for this, lady? One. Hooters does not have good food. It does not have good food. Like I say about restaurants, restaurants are selling you one of three things generally at all times. They're selling you great food or they're selling you a great location or they're selling you dimes in the waitstaff. 
They generally will not combine two of those things. I know there are exceptions to that rule, but like all things, you're only as good as you have to be. That's why that beachside restaurant, that food sucks all the time. You know it sucks. Quit, don't lie. No, no, I had a, it sucks. You know it sucks. It does. That restaurant that, oh, it's, it's at the top of a skyscraper and it turns around as you eat. Oh, no, my steak is bad. Yeah. They don't have to sell good steak. They don't have to spend extra money on fresh produce and good steak because you're going to go anyway because the view's nice. You find some restaurant way off the beaten path and walk in and it's some haggard 85-year-old serving you food. The food's going to be phenomenal every single time because that's what they're selling you. These restaurants that have popped up, and I'm not passing any judgment at all, but that that specialize, and it's not just Hooters now. There's Twin Peaks, and there's all these. They specialize in, in, you know, half-dressed dimes. How good is the food, really? How good? Well, it's not that good. Why? It doesn't have to be. Dudes are going to flock in there anyway to drink beer and look at women. That's what dudes do. However, I applaud you, Mom, for maybe trying to wrangle something up for your single Navy veteran son. So let's tackle the issue at hand. You know the food sucks at Hooters. Don't worry. We're going to get there eventually. What you're going to do is this. You're going to make sure. I know California has some weird gun laws, some really bad ones, but make sure you're legally armed and head down to church's chicken. You should be armed at all times anyway, but you definitely need to be armed when you're going into church's chicken. In general, I would recommend you order your food to go. That lessens the, ch- that lessens the chance of being violently mugged while you eat. But you go down to church's chicken. You get their spicy chicken. Spicy chicken. Sometimes they're out, but you get their spicy chicken. Make sure you get their biscuits and make sure... You get their jalapeno cheese bombers. The jalapeno cheese bombers at Church's Chicken are the most underrated item on any menu in the United States of America today. They're that good. Get some ranch to dip them in. Well, they're essentially, Chris, a jalapeno cheese popper, only they it's such a simple step. Instead of it being one big jalapeno in there, like one big side of it, they have them all diced up throughout it. And it it add, it just adds to the flavor. They're so good. And they're made right every time. And I'll tell you this, Mom. Over order the jalapeno cheese bombers. You, well, however many you order, it's not going to be enough. So over order the cheese bombers. You go to Church's Chicken first. You guys get nice and full on delicious Church's Chicken and biscuits and the jalapeno cheese bombers. Then... Because you're a good mom, you guys put your heads together. I don't know what kind of relationship you have. I'm assuming it's pretty good. You go to Hooters. Your son is a single man. He has one job and one job only in Hooters. You sit down with your mom, and he has to make it absurdly obvious that he treats you like gold whenever the waitress is around. Mom, what do you need? Mom, you can have anything you want. Mom, I love you so much. Oh, sorry, waitress. I didn't know you were there right now. She will be swooning in about 15 to 20 minutes. Then the game plan is this. You guys have to game plan this together. 
He's going to excuse himself to make a phone call. Don't excuse himself to use the restroom. She doesn't want to think about him going pee-pee. He excuses himself to make a phone call while the waitress is there. You make a little light conversation with the waitress. What are you going to say? I'm going to tell you what to say next, and then we'll get to the rest of our Ask Dr. Jesse questions. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working undercover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.